Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Nola stretches, looks at third. He kicks the 2-2 pitch, swung on and belted. High and deep, left field line towards the corner goes Veerling, and that ball is gone. And Pete Alonzo gets Aaron Nola yet again. It's his fifth career homer off of the Phillies right-hander. This one's a two-run shot, and it's 3-0 New York. Here's a swing and a line drive to left. That'll end it. Backing up, Nate Winnie makes the catch, and the ball game's over. Mets do it again to the Phillies as they roughed up Aaron Nola en route to a 7-2 win tonight. And the Mets have won 12 of 16 meetings this season between the division rivals. 7-2 the final. Ah, oh, what a letdown. What a letdown. Good morning, Mike Sealski. Good morning, Glenn Mack. I'm Glenn Mack now, and that was Scott Fransky. And, uh, well, I don't know if you heard it, but Larry Anderson's teeth were definitely gnashing on that. <laughs> <laughs> we were discussing before the show uh, our fondness for Larry Anderson groans. And last night had a lot of them. Oh, it had way too many of them. So the Phillies have their third sellout of the year. There's great anticipation. They're taking on the Mets. Nola's on the mound. The Mets have their, their, their what, their third, fourth starter, whatever it is. And <laughs> we're all trying to get pennant fever over here, and the Phillies are not cooperating, Mike Sealski. Yeah, you got that sense right from the start. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, you know, a hard hit ball that ends up an infield hit. Uh, a line drive for an out, uh, another hit. Uh, it's one of those nights where, as you said, Glenn, you're excited to watch a baseball game that matters, and right from the start, if you were a Phillies fan, you just had a sense that, boy, tonight's not going to go not well. Not going to go well. They lose 7-2. to um, I mean, combined with everything that's gone on in the, during the last week, and we'll talk about all those games, it gives their fans uh, reason to doubt that this team is postseason worthy. So here's my biggest fear: is here we go again, which is Nola, which is Nola could could not have had a worse night to turn into bad Nola. He gave up four runs like like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's out of it. Well, I guess he lasted six, but he was never in it. The energy was gone from the stadium right away, um, and. I got to tell you, Mike, I've got this fear. Nola has been really good this year. Mm-hmm. And in his last five starts over the last month, four very good ones, one yep. clunker, which, by the way, against the Braves. Uh, but 
I keep having this fear that Bad Nola is going to show up, and he did last night, and the home run by Alonzo, as is so often the case, two-strike pitch, can't put him away. This is my biggest fear right now. Well, I think the number that captures uh, what you're talking about with respect to your fear and Aaron Nola is this. Last night, he allowed five earned runs after he got two strikes on a Met hitter. Yeah, there you go. That tells you and speaks to what you're talking about. The, the struggles that Nola has had in recent years have come when he can't put hitters away. He can't finish them off. And that's what happened last night. And the Mets are a good offensive team. They get on base. Mm-hmm. Um, they're you know, good. Th- they, By the way, they're just They're good. just flat out they're good. They're really good. Um, but they're, they're a really good offensive team. And they have a manager in Buck Showalter who preaches and gets results when it comes to being smart hitters, playing smart baseball. And you've seen that throughout this season when these two teams meet. You know, said it, Scott Fransky said it at the, at the top. The Mets have won 12 of their 16 games this year against the Phillies. Hmm. And the Phillies have their chances. We'll get into today's game, doubleheader. Day-night doubleheader today, by the way, boys and girls. <laughs> Mike and I will be doing leading off at noon for the 1 o'clocker. Um, but you, you've got that today, you got like whatever, their fifth starter going, their sixth starter. This this is the series where you don't have to face DeGrom and Scherzer. Right. This is the one that you're supposed to win these games. You need to pick up ground on them. Not that you're going to overtake them in the division. But as you said, Glenn, as much for kind of reproving that you are a team that is going to make the postseason and could potentially do some damage once you get there. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. That's, that's really it. I don't. They're not going to win the division. The, the Mets are great. The Braves are really good. Get in the playoffs. Hey, if they win around, great. If they don't, they got playoff experience. So I, I, I'm telling you, the September NOLA, the specter of September NOLA is something that really worries me right now. You've got a bigger gripe out of well, not just last night. Well, I do. Um, not just last night, but the offense is a problem uh, right now. If you look at the Phillies over their last eight games, they're three and five, and they've been shut out four times, and in two other games, they scored just two runs. And I think this gets to a problem that we've encountered with the Phillies year after year after year, which is they are all or nothing offensively. Mm-hmm. If they're not scoring 11 runs against the Cincinnati Reds one night, they're getting shut out the next night. And that speaks to why they've been so inconsistent over the last few years. When they're good, they're really good. And when they're bad, they might as well be a bunch of little leaves. Yeah, I'll agree with something I actually heard Howard Eskin say uh, recently, which is if they don't hit home runs, they can't win. And at first, when he said that, I thought, like, well, duh, it's games about home runs. But you do have to win when you don't hit home runs. You do have to hit for average. You do have to take the extra base running it. They do. They actually, they steal okay. Yeah. Uh, they're probably right around the middle Major League Baseball in steals. But, yes, they are unable to do it. Is this is, is this finally missing Bryce Harper catching up to him? I think a little bit, sure. I mean, you can't deny that having Harper would help. And um, But it's been a theme for the last several years. And even though Dave Dombrowski built this team – uh, around the long ball and added guys like Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos, that measure of inconsistency really hasn't gone away, at least lately. Um, you know, we keep comparing them to the Mets, but look at how the Mets score runs. They're fifth in the majors in batting average. They're second in on-base percentage. They get on base mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, they're patient hitters. Yeah, so that, you know, they're only 10th in slugging, but if they're hitting a bunch of singles and getting on base, they're going to score runs, and the Phillies don't do that as well 
as certainly the Mets and some of the the really good teams. Good old fashioned baseball. Yeah. It still matters. It's still relevant. It does, and it does particularly now. All right, so those are two concerns. Uh, And out of that, one of the other things that uh, worries me about this team, they've been very good at avoiding the kind of moment that happened yesterday when they were on defense. What was it? It was like the fifth inning. I I apologize. I forget what inning it was, but uh, this happened. Runner goes from first. The pitch is taken. The throw down to second, and it's cut off by Stott. He's coming to the plate. Bad throw. Marte scores, and it's 5 nothing Mets. Somewhere Keith Hampton was up in the Hamptons smirking Keith, about Keith that. Keith Hernandez. What did I say? Keith Hampton. No, not Keith Hampton. <laughs> Keith Hernandez. I don't Hernandez. know who Keith Hampton is. Well, Keith Hernandez was in the Hamptons yes. somewhere chortling over that one. Uh, because it was bad fundamental baseball. And, again, Larry Anderson didn't say anything, but I did hear Larry go, it's it's one of those moments, Glenn, where when you're watching the game and you see a play like that take place, if you're familiar at all with baseball and its fundamentals, you're kind of saying to yourself, this is a situation where every player on defense should be thinking this is a possibility. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do if this happens? If the runner, if you have first and third and the runner on first breaks for second, how do we react to this? And the Phillies carried out that play as if it never occurred to them that the Mets might try a double steal and have Marte break for the plate if JT Romuto threw down a second. And as it turned out, Romuto wouldn't have thrown out the runner at second, and they had no chance throw, you know, yeah. stop throwing yeah. back to get, the, to get Marte at home. Yeah, and then he made the bad throw. Uh, listen, I don't want to be too bleak about this. I'm Mr. You know, playoff fever around here. <laughs> I, I've really enjoyed this season, um, but it's just – it's. It's been a lousy week, and last night particularly, as everybody was so excited to see him come home and they had the full house, it was the clunker of clunkers. So, Mike, today they get the doubleheader, and they really do get lucky. As we said, no DeGrom, no Scherzer. 1 o'clock today, it's Wheeler against 30-year-old journeyman Trevor Williams. you got to like him in that, right? You would think, okay. but you know, Wheeler has not been great against the Mets this season. Not. Uh, okay. Uh, tonight is uh, Mets have lefty David Peterson versus uh, Bailey Falter in a cast of thousands. Yeah. This is going to be a uh, Peterson's no, Peterson's nothing. He's, no, uh, but you think the Mets are looking at Bailey Falter and going, no, oh, we can't beat no, him. No, no, no. But I think it's, you know, it's whose bullpen pitches better in yeah. this one. Yeah. All right. So we shall, we shall see. We are not giving up hope, folks. All right. <laughs> so here's the other thing today. As we said, we got a quick show. Uh, and we got a lot to work into it. And one of the things that we always enjoy doing is we give away a $50 gift card to Scheib Vintage Sports. Um, we got a Scheib Vintage Sports moment, which is going to come up later in the show. And the gift card is from Scheib Vintage Sports, but there's a story in every stitch. There, uh, go see their throwback apparel at their Center City location or visit them at ScheibSports.com. The Phillies-Mets rivalry has never been what it should be. I and agree. I, I, part of it is, and I think most people know this, it has been for decades that when the Phillies are good, the Mets are bad, and when the Mets are good, the Phillies are bad, and they're so rarely good at the same time. Somebody put out a stat the other day that when they played the f- last week, it was only like the 20th game in the history of the two franchises mm-hmm. where they were both above 500 into July or later right. and met. It's like incredible. Yeah, it's it's nuts. So it there is. are not a lot of terrific Phillies Mets moments, but there are some. <laughs> and we today are giving away a fifty dollars Scheib Vintage Sports gift card 
to whoever can give us the best, as judged by producer Dan Wilson, as always. He has that heavy burden. He is wise and impartial. All right. So, you go first. All right. So, mine- We're taking two off the table here. Yeah, right right out of the bat, out of the gate. So, as someone who grew up a Phillies fan- um, and Beautiful was a, Flower Town, is that where you grew up? Uh, you grew up? Uh, Glenside, Glenside, North Hills. Okay. Yeah. So the Phillies were not good often throughout my childhood. And in 1986, for instance, they finished in second place, 10, 10 or 11 games above 500, uh, but still finished 20 games behind the Mets, who won the National League East running away. But, oh, that was the, yeah. That yeah, was that was the, the, the World Championship. Gary team. Carter, Daryl Strawberry, Doc Gooden, Keith yes. Hernandez. That was a good team. Yes. So... Having said that, the Mets came to town to play the Phillies in a three-game series at Veterans Stadium late that season, needing to win one game to clinch the division championship. And the Phillies swept them in that series at home. It was the highlight up until 1993 as a kid rooting for the Phillies. It was the highlight of my fandom as a Phillies fan. And in the first game of that series, Mike Schmidt hit a three-run home run off Dwight Gooden that kind of set the tone for the entire series of yeah, we know you're going to win the division. We know you're probably going to win the World Series. But damn it, you're not clinching the division in our house. And it sounds crazy, but when you were a Phillies fan as a kid back then, you held on to a moment like that. So for me, my favorite Mets-Phillies moment is that Mike Schmidt home run back in 1986. Can I say something, Mike? Sure. All due respect. That's really pathetic. <laughs> you did not grow up no, did hoping— not grow up here. That Shane Rawley might I, I, win 20 games no, in 1987, Glenn. That's true. You know what? I moved here a month later than that happened. I moved here in October of 86. Maybe Kevin Gross will win the Cy Young Award. <laughs> this was a traumatic childhood, I Glenn. I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, it was pretty good in 80, and then 83 you had that, but then after that. Then you uh, had 14 was, years yeah, of nothing. Yeah, it was pretty bad. All right, well. Or 10 years, I should say. That's an interesting one. Uh, mine's a little bit different. Okay. Mine maybe is a little more upbeat. I am, Mike, going to take you to 2007. You remember that year? Vaguely. Uh, Phillies <laughs> win the National League East for the first of five straight seasons. Jimmy Rollins, team to beat, all that. And it was after the trader, Billy Wagner, had left Philadelphia for Shea. Was it still Shea Stadium then? I it don't was, know. yes. Okay. For Shea Stadium. We booed Billy Wagner. <laughs> He didn't like us before we didn't like him, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. He, he I, never I understood. Billy. I covered Billy. I liked Billy. Yeah, he's, he's actually a nice fella, yeah. but he, he never related to the fans here. And right. part of it was he didn't understand that when the speed gun got up to 99 and the fans booed, they weren't booing him. <laughs> they were booing the speed gun. Right. They liked him. But anyway, it, got, it ended up not good. Um, but a guy who he was not friends with as a teammate, Pat Burrell, twice that year, Mm-hmm. Twice that year, as Billy Wagner was in for the save for the Mets, did this. The ball's a strike here to Burrow. That has a two-run homer and four at-bats. Did he do it again? Yeah. Yes, he did. Out of here. Takes Billy Wagner deep once again. His second over in the game is 24th of the year. And it's now a one-run game. By the way, the Phillies would win that game off of Billy Wagner. No, that is, they won that game. That was the fourth game of a four-game sweep at Citizens Bank Park that got them back into the divisional race. And I would argue, if you look back on it now, 
that's the moment when that mini dynasty began. That four-game sweep of the Mets where you were like, oh, okay, this Phillies team is a little bit different from all the other ones that have come before it. And they win the division that year and each of the next four years after that. So that's the one that I took that you're praising so effusively, whereas you took some frustration of you as a 14-year-old. Glenn. Going nowhere. If, if you would like to spend the rest of this show discussing my post-traumatic stress from being a Phillies fan as a child, uh, yeah. I am happy you know to do that. I used to do shows after like Eagles losses or stuff that I would call The Doctor Is In. So <laughs> maybe we'll do one of those again. You can All wheel right. a black couch in. All right, so here's the deal. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Ski and Glenn Mack now. We are going to get into Eagles and the preseason and what it means. Spoiler alert, nothing. Uh, we got a couple of really interesting TV reviews for today on what we're watching. Uh, Jimmy Kemsky of phillyvoice.com is going to join us to discuss his support of the Eagles trading for Kareem Hunt. I'll ask you later how you feel about that. I don't want to get into it yet, but he thinks they should. Uh, okay. Well, now we know how you feel. Larry. We'll talk to you. It's a little Larry Anderson moment for you there, huh? I'm, I'm trying to catch up to him in groans. <laughs> okay. Uh, whatever else is on your mind. And, again, I, I know I always have to say this um, in deference to our producer, Dan Wilson. If you call and you want to give your all-time Phillies-Mets highlight moment, that's great. And you could walk away with the $50 Shipe Sports gift card. But don't only call with that. Call with something else that adds to the conversation. Phillies, Eagles, Ben Simmons, Deshaun Watson, whatever else is on your mind. We'd love to talk to you, but don't just call to win a prize because we see right through that. (laughs) 215-592-9494. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack. Now, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. Baseball is back. 
and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now. We'll get into football in just a second. Let's get Aaron in Norristown first. He's got some thoughts about the Phillies' lackluster offense. Aaron? Glenn, Mike, how are you guys doing this morning? Doing great, Aaron. Thanks for calling. Hey, thank you, thank you. So, uh, when I, I called you guys a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about when the Phillies were going to trade, and everybody says, oh, we need a pitcher, we need a pitcher. And I kept emphasizing, <laughs> we need a bat. And it's really starting to come to fruition, Michael, as you were actually talking. You know, a pitcher pitches once every fifth day, and their everyday inconsistent offense could be their downfall, along with maybe bad NOLA, as to, you know, possibly blowing what they have a pretty good hold on a, a wild card playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a concern. I think. You know, obviously they have uh, guys in Castellanos and – well, stick with Castellanos for now. Not not hit at the level they anticipated he would. Schwarber, right. for all his long balls and, and home runs, and he's been great in that regard, um, has not hit for average. You know, and, and there is something to be said for – again, I'll come back to it – the approach that a team like the Mets takes where guys right. are on base all the time, they're putting the ball in play – um, you know, you, you apply pressure to an opposing team all the time when you play that way and hit that way. And well, I do, th- I do think there's like, reason to worry about the Phillies in that regard. Yeah, and your point is real valid. Like last night, if you watched, they, they had one inning with, I think, uh, on TV, McCarthy even said, we're Milter barely, Bohm, Bohm's having a deep, he had a nice month, but he's starting, I hope he's not like Dominic Brown. Because he swings at the first pitch, his at bat is over before you even get to re- ready to sit down and watch the inning. It's, you know, he. Yeah, he does not yeah. believe in taking a walk. That, that's he doesn't for sure. Believe in taking a first pitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, I also wish we got some power out of Bohm. Maybe eventually he'll grow into it. But maybe, hopefully, yeah. you know. So, I have, a, I have a Mets Phillies robbery memory that is actually their best memory on a game they never played. They ended their playoff drought in 2007. The building was sold out yeah the last game of 2007 yep. we watched on the jumbotron yes we as did Lavin got rocked for seven runs in the first inning against the marlins and then jamie moyer pitched against the nationals and beat them as we clinched our first division title i remember it well i remember well and that's the game that ended on the rollins dive for the double play right an incredible no, that was, memory that they oh, didn't play that was 08 <laughs> well that was 08 excuse me that no. was 08 when they beat the mets oh, never mind we don't See, forget that, it. that yeah, was the 2007. <laughs> forget yeah. it anyway yes i remember the glavin game i was there and it was brilliant and that's a pretty good one thank you for starting excuse me i'm getting confused too many good, good memories um okay I want to talk a little bit about the Eagles. Let's go back to this last week. Thank you, Merrill and Mike. And that was the last play of the successful touchdown drive that started last week's preseason opener against the Jets. And I hope you enjoyed it because you're not going to see any of those guys on the field at all until September 11th. Welcome to preseason football in the NFL, where preseason games don't prepare 
the most important players <laughs> to start the season. I mean, we got what we wanted out of it, but like that's it. That's it. They're done, and they play tomorrow. Nobody's going to play. I, we're no. going to watch the game, but I have no idea. You know what's going to happen? Who's going to play? And you had a column that uh, I saw online this morning. Run in tomorrow's paper. And yes, people buy the paper. If not, you see it online today. Which basically you made it into a bit of a parody, but you're. Bottom line point is just the worthlessness of the preseason. Yeah, the trend around the NFL now, and Nick Sirianni seems as big a proponent of this as anybody, is that these joint practices that teams hold over the course of a couple of days are in many ways more valuable and more revealing and better prepare teams uh, for the regular season. So my feeling is, you know, if this trend continues, then eventually, because the NFL tries to monetize everything, they'll start selling tickets to the joint practices <laughs> and start streaming them on their team websites, charging you like a dollar a minute or something mm. like that. And then the demand uh, and response will be so great that eventually they'll have to move these joint practices to places like Lincoln Financial Field and AT&T Stadium, uh, in which case they'll just go back to playing preseason games again. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's it's crazy that they are going to play this game Sunday and people are going to try to draw some kind of conclusion based on what we see. It's just because well, it's it's football. And yeah. by the way, it'll it'll out it'll get higher rating. The game's tomorrow at one. Mm-hmm. Um, higher ratings than the Phillies. Yeah, Mets game. Yeah, yeah, it will. Yeah, because it's football. Yeah, and it's it's sort it's, of it's it's sort of football. It is. Not it is the sport that is not played every day, so there's build up and anticipation, and it's football, and we are absolutely addicted to football, and I include myself among the sufferers of this right. addiction. And we've been waiting so long for it, and tomorrow what we're going to see is what? Who's the the fortieth through the fifty third guy to make the roster? That's basically what it's about tomorrow. Yeah, we're going to see who the Eagles' third quarterback will yeah. be. I Ooh, guess Minshew. Well, he'll, he's number two. Uh, oh, that's is he not even going to play? I've, he's got to play. Uh, he would play a little bit, I okay. think. I but, know his job's but, not on the line, but he's going to play. Right, but how much is he going to play? And, yeah. again, does that matter? That's you know. the versus uh, Dal- uh, Carson Strong. Carson, yeah. You know. <laughs> Those are guys um, who, who would have started for the Browns in years past, by the way. Yes, I know. And, and listen, I – I understand the value of these joint practices because as opposed to a preseason game, you can practice what you want to practice. Right. It's like, okay, we're going to spend the next 20 minutes on red zone. Okay, we're going to spend the next amount of time on this. And the coaches get ahead of, uh, uh, together ahead of time, and they figure out, here's what we both need to work on. Let's make it work for both of us. Where in a preseason game, you may not ever be in that opportunity to work on what you want to work on. So I see that value of it. Mm-hmm. The problem is they still hold the preseason games yes, and charge people to do them yeah, and, and put them on TV and, and pretend pe- that it's football. And a lot of people are happy to pay that money uh, because they crave football so much. And, and it's, a, it's an opportunity for people who you know, don't get season tickets or maybe don't want to bring their family down to Lincoln Financial Field on a Sunday during November or December, um, they get a chance to do it in August instead, and that's fine. It's a lot of kids. It's, yeah. Which is, yeah, which is nice. You know, we did the game, the pregame last week, a lot of six-year-olds, ten-year-olds. It's mm-hmm. nice. But, yes, it's a waste. It's a waste of time as a football fan. Yeah. I agree. And I think your column, which kind of keeps moving forward to stretch the point to ridiculousness, may, in fact, prove to portend reality. Well, I ended it with the idea of the NFL playing um, – 
16, each team playing 16 regular season home games in 2030, which sounds crazy, of course, but we're already at a 17-game regular season. Um, and it wasn't that long ago that teams were playing, you know, 14-game regular seasons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, it just seems the hunger for it is insatiable. Um, and I think the fact that, as you said, Glenn, the audience that Sunday's, tomorrow's game is going to get proves that. For a meaningless exercise of, like, watching third and fourth string guys play, it, you know. You know what? I want to I talk to some people um, who plan tomorrow to spend more. Both games are on TV. The Phillies game is home, so clearly they're going to get a great crowd down there. The Eagles game is out in Cleveland. But people whose plan tomorrow is to watch the Eagles and not really the Phillies. You and I are both probably very proficient at flipping. Yep. Right? Okay. And I've I've gotten to the point where I can do it without missing a pitch or a snap to the quarterback. <laughs> My timing is impeccable. The uh, the Clint Eastwood spaghetti western music plays in the background <laughs> as you're flipping, right? Yeah, that Mets pitcher last night. Jesus. Yeah, you run for the whole offensive series. But I, if there's somebody who tomorrow is, and you're a, fan, you're a baseball fan and a football fan, can't be that you don't like baseball. But you're going to watch the Eagles at the exclusion of the Phillies. I would love to hear from you on that. Let's talk to Kevin in Haddon Heights. Hey, Kevin. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Great. Great, Kevin. Good, good. Hey, Glenn, uh, I'm 44. I've been listening to you since as long as I can remember. Big fan. Appreciate it very much. Um, Cream Hunt. Now, what do you think it would take to acquire him? That's a really good question um, because Hunt is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. So you would think that it wouldn't take much. Um, the complicating factor is he wants to get paid, and that's part of the reason he wants to be traded. He wants to go somewhere uh, where he thinks he's going to sign a multi-year contract. And as a 27-year-old running back, you know he's not in a prime position to get <laughs> paid an awful lot of money the way the league is trending on that position and its kind of disposability. So... I think you're looking probably, maybe I'm wrong about this, way off like a draft pick or two and not, you know, anything more than like a third or fourth round pick, maybe. Um, we'll talk to Jimmy Kemsky about that. Maybe I'm way off on that, but that would be my guess. Would you would, would you think Rager and like a fourth round pick would interest Cleveland? I don't know if Rager would because um, I don't really know the depth of their wide receivers. Or, or Dillard. Maybe Dillard. See, Dillard, it's because I figured somebody would bring up Dillard, and that's somebody I'd want to bring up with Jimmy as well. I'm I don't know that I would trade Dillard because I need that depth on my offensive line. Dillard is is a more important player, I think, than Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I, I even I, if he doesn't play, because if you need him, you know he can step in. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree with Glenn there. Um, they it, just it, go ahead. Just Kevin, I'm sorry. Seem, I'm sorry. It just doesn't seem like they're going to re-sign Sanders and. If they can get Hunt, and then kind of like the Jai thing when they got it's exactly who I. It's so funny you mentioned that as you're talking. I'm trying to look up what they traded for Jai. Yeah, what was that, Glenn? I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, I don't know. I'll get it. I'll get it. Okay, give us give us your um your best Phillies Mets memory. I, I got it. Before you go, Kevin, for uh, what, what they trade it was for a fourth-round pick. Fourth-round pick. Okay. So, that, oh, wow. that, so that, would, that would be the market. Yeah. Yeah, maybe right. a third-rounder because Kareem Hunt is a better player than J.J. I mean, I would do a third or a fourth for him, but uh, my Phillies one has got to be the best. 
Do you remember the 1990 brawl when Combs hit Gooden? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. That's and really, that's, yeah, a brawl is always good. Oh, that fight went on forever. Yeah, it was good. All right, thank you for that. They haven't had any good baseball brawls in a while. No. No, they you get brawls at, at training camp and join practices, but yeah. you don't get baseball. We don't brawls get to see anymore. them. That's the problem. Well, that the, the NFL will rectify that post haste. I'm pa- sure. Pay per view uh, training camp brawls. <laughs> there you go. Noah in Voorhees, you're on with Mike and Glenn. Uh, still freaking hot. Noah, are you with us? Hello. Yeah, Noah. I'm glad that it's uh, you're you're dealing with the heat, and I'm glad that you didn't actually swear. But now you're on oh, the I'm air. Sorry, I'm That's sorry. okay. Got close. All right, so. Kareem Hunt, don't want him, don't need him. Don't want him, don't need him. All Put right. Miles Sanders under there, 25 touches. You know how he did it before. He'll do it again. Miles Sanders did 25 touches? When was that? And also, like I said, you got those guys in the backfield. You don't you don't need to add this other guy. You don't okay. need to give away players. All right. All right. All right. Appreciate your point of view. Thanks, Noah. Uh-huh. I did Miles Sanders. The, the, the reason I would think, and you and I haven't discussed whether or not we want Hunt, but the argument for Hunt is that you can't count on Miles Sanders' durability again. I think the Heat was getting to Noah's perspective on Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders has not been a 25 carry back since he joined the Eagles. Uh, Noah, Noah did not have a, a ton to add. 215-592-9494. So we've got the Phillies-Mets in the conversation. Your kind of perspective on where they are right now. We're talking about the Eagles in the preseason. We've kind of morphed into the Kareem Hunt conversation. We're going to have that with Jimmy Kemsky coming up, but you're invited to weigh in on that. And, yes, if you call us with an interesting perspective, we will seek your all-time Phillies-Mets highlight. The winner, whoever gives us the best of which, wins a $50 gift card to Shy Vintage Sports. 215-592-9494. Mike and Glenn, Saturday morning, 94 WIP. With Mike Sealski, it's Glenn Mack now. It is time for our Shy Vintage Sports Moment of the Week. Shy Vintage Sports. Check them out at their Center City location or visit them online at shyvintagesports.com where there is a story in every stitch. All right, I got two for you today. They both go back a ways. Okay. Actually, the first one goes back about 119 years, but I just, I loved it. 109 years. That was before I was born. Yeah, me too. But here you go. Uh, August 22nd, 1913. With no one out in the ninth inning and the Phillies leading 8-6, to six, umpire William Brennan announces a forfeit win for the Giants because the Phillies fans were being so mean to the Giants hitters. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a precedent for Phillies fans, like, psyching yeah. out Bird Hooten yeah. in yeah. 1976. This is like the earliest. 77. Uh, maybe this is the earliest recorded episode thereof. And then in parens, the ruling was later overturned. I'm stunned. <laughs> but I, I love that. I okay. like going to Kennesaw Mountain Landis and like, but the Phillies fans were mean. So this next one predates your existence on this earth. But for Phillies fans of a certain age, it is something in a season that will never be forgotten. 1972, the Phillies are a horrible team. They come in last place. Uh, I think they lose 100 games. They 59 win 59 and 97. 59 and 97. Oh, they had a lot of rainouts, I yeah. guess, that year. They didn't. <laughs> it's like, we're not making that up. You guys are too awful. They win 59 games. 27 of those 59 games are won by lefty Steve Carlton and 
not on this date, but two days ago, today, Saturday, Thursday, was the anniversary of Steve Carlton winning his 15th consecutive game that year for a last place club. Let's get a little Steve Carlton highlight here. All right, a few things on this. First of all, he throws four pitches in 53 seconds, which the Mets starter last night was not even getting one off in 53 seconds. This is a true story, Glenn. Last year, I was watching a nationally televised baseball game on a Saturday afternoon, and I came across online a clip of Steve Carlton pitching to Keith Hernandez in 1983. Mm. And I watched the two simultaneously, the clip of Carlton and the game on my TV. Oh, wow. The, the the clip of Carlton striking out Hernandez was literally twice as fast as the game on TV. Carlton was throwing two pitches for every one that the pitcher in the modern game threw. All right, well, you just told me. So, again, we're celebrating the anniversary, 50 years, how about that, of Steve Carlton winning 15 straight games for a last-place club. He won 27 that year. We'll give you some more stats in a minute. But you found his next game – which is where the streak ends after he had won 15. Give us some background here. So 50 years ago tomorrow, August 21st, 1972, the Atlanta Braves play the Phillies at Veterans Stadium. It is Phil Necro against Steve Carlton. The game, wow. The game goes— Some up, Hall of Famers right there. Right there. The game goes 11 innings. The Braves win 2-1. to one. Both Necro and Carlton pitch all 11 <laughs> innings. Necro strikes out 10, walks 3, allows 9 hits. Carlton strikes out 10, walks 3, allows 7 hits. Wow. The game took 2 hours and 24 minutes. <laughs> 11 innings. It started at 7.50, p.m. local time in wow. Philadelphia. I wonder why they started so late. I don't know, well, but who cares? It was they finished by quarter after 10. Wow. That's, I love that pace. I do, too. I love that. Anyway... This, that year, Steve Carlton's 1972 season may have been one of the top five greatest by any pitcher anywhere ever. I remember um, Pedro Martinez had one back in the early aughts that, that mm-hmm. you know, you could argue may have been better. But this, all right, the traditional numbers that year, he's 27-10 and 10 with a 197 ERA. 41 starts, 30 complete games, 346 innings. He finished three out of every four of his starts. Unbelievable. 310 strikeouts, 87 walks, four to one, basically. And then you look at, I'm trying to see, oh, his war. I'm not a big believer. I think war is very overrated. But 12.1, anybody knows that is great. Um, Won the Cy Young, finished fifth in MVP for last place club. It's amazing. I think, personally, it is the single greatest individual season 
you can make an argument. I mean, I'm sure if we went back and looked at Wilt Chamberlain's numbers in some of his years yeah, with the 60, Warriors. Yeah, 62, I 60, think, was the right. year, yeah. Um, but you can make an argument it's the single greatest individual season by a Philadelphia athlete yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, he was just so dominant. His his you know, if you if you want to get deep into the numbers, like his fielding independent percentage, meaning that like the balls that aren't in play Nerd or, alert. I know. Um, was incredibly low. You know, the number of hitters he walked and hits he allowed was incredibly low. Three hundred and ten strikeouts in three hundred and 46 and a third innings pitched. So here you go. No pitcher has won more games in a season since then. Mm -hmm. And again, last place club, no pitcher has thrown as many complete games in a season since that. That was 50 years ago today, or not today, this week. And yeah. all, all congratulations to Lefty. Oh, it's it's seminal. It's I, I saw him pitch live toward the end. When he was kind of washed up, mm -hmm. uh, when he had gone to the American League, I saw him. I was living in Detroit at the time, and I saw him come in to pitch. I think he's with the Indians, against either the Indians or the Twins. He was with, and he came in to pitch against the Tigers, and he, he was just a shell of himself. Yeah, but man, for so many years he was so so great. And th one of the coolest things about him was, to me, his windup. It was so fluid. It was yeah. so easy and yep. natural. Yep. It was beautiful to watch him pitch. So you go 346 innings a year. There you go. Well, there you go. All right. That was fun. That plus the nasty fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You're that too is great. mean. They're going to win. They uh, win on forfeit. Give it to the Giants. Uh, it was cancel culture back in 1930. Yeah. <laughs> Neil in East Norton. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Mike and Glenn, how are you doing this morning? Great, Neil. Great. Hey, real quick before I get to my Eagles backfield, defensive backfield question, but just a Steve Carlton note, and I'm sure you guys, I mean, you were in the vet probably more times than I, but do you remember in the 70s and 80s, Carlton would not want to warm up in the bullpen and the right, you know, behind the right field fence. And in the vet, the Phillies put that little mound in front of their dugout just for Steve Carlton to warm up before a game because he did not want to walk back to the right field bullpen. Yeah, I do remember that. I mean, he was full of those sort of little idiosyncrasies. Um, you know, I, I talked a couple of years ago now to Gus Heffling, who was the Phillies trainer oh, at that time. Bucket of rice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and who collaborated with Carlton in terms of getting him physically right to pitch. Martial arts techniques and, as Glenn mentioned, you know, shoving his left arm into a bucket full of rice and all these sorts of new agey, so to speak, kind of training techniques that for Carlton really, really worked. Yeah, it was ahead of his time. Yes. Um, all right, so Eagles roster, um, I, in my opinion, the, you know, the, the, the weakest position on the roster, probably the where they have um, the most lack of depth is safety. Mm -hmm. do, do, you, do you guys see four safeties being taken or do you see five? And if so... Has Blankenship done enough? I know we have, you know, three weeks left of the preseason. Um, has he done enough to make the team? I did. Uh, first of all, that is such an off-the-chart question that I admire you for, for that, um, for being as esoteric as you are. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea whether Reed Blankenship is going to make the team at this point. Um, so here's what we got. You got Anthony Harris and Marcus Epps, right? They signed Jaquiski Tart as a free agent, uh, Kavon Wallace, and then your guy Blankenship, I guess. 
Shashir, they had him last year. You know what that's going to boil down to? It's going to boil down to who plays special teams exactly. well. Exactly. Because I, all, all I've heard so far is that Tart has been a disappointment. He's um, hurt, but they knew yeah. that when they signed him from the 49ers. I mean, um, all right, well, uh, excellent analysis, Glenn. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, so. it's, it's one of those things, Neil, where I think the way they're structuring their defense and planning to play, I think they're hoping that they can, in a way, I don't want to say de-emphasize the safety position, but I'm, I'm not sure they regard it as highly as they do their corners and certainly their pass rush. So um, the Eagles will tell you they're they're content there. I'm not sure I believe it, but um, hmm. we'll see. Right. They put all the money into cornerback. Yeah. They put all the money yeah. into pass rusher. They put less money into linebacker and safety. Yep. Yep. Well, my Phillies-Mets moment. Uh, the magical season of 1993. Um, Kim Batiste Grand Slam. Uh, it was in August of 93, and I don't remember the date. That is my favorite Phillies-Mets moment. Phillies were down the whole night. Kim Batiste hit a grand slam to dead center field that beat the Mets in the bottom of the ninth. Um, I, re- the- I remember that, Neil. Um, they were down something like 3-2, to two, maybe 5-3, to three, something like that, and the Mets were galactically awful that season. And they, they had a pitcher named Anthony Young. Oh, my goodness, lost, yes. You know, we, we just finished talking about Steve Carlton yeah, winning was, 15 straight games. I think Young went winless the whole season. Yeah, or something, something like 1-18 or something, yeah. And he hung a slider to Kim Batiste, and Batiste hit a, a walk-off grand slam. Wow, good stuff. Good stuff by both of you. Nice memory, Neil, and good recall of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going you know that, that up is? to get the I, details. I, you know why you remember that so specifically? Because, what, were you 17, 18? I was 17 or 18 yeah. years yeah. old. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I remember all the stuff from seventeen. Better I remember the stuff from when I'm in my thirties. I, I can't you're remember. A kid. My, I can't remember my wife's name sometimes. Right. right. So there is. Oh, you got. Okay. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Kim Batiste. Well hit. Well hit. This ball is out of here. A grand slam home run. Kim Batiste. And the Phillies have won it nine to five. For those keeping score at home, that's the third time this hour we have played Harry Callis. Nothing wrong with that, man. And and say this. Harry Callis is getting some work today. We talk, at least those of us who grew up and are familiar with the Phillies, often speak of what names we liked to hear Harry say the most. All-time underrated one is Kim Batiste. Yeah. All-time underrated. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, what were we talking about before that? I was going to make some brilliant point. About the Eagles' safeties? Nah. Okay. All right. I don't know. <laughs> Let's, we'll take a break. If you're on hold, do us a favor. Hang in there, and we will get you. But coming up, we're going to talk to Jimmy Kemsky, phillyvoice.com. He was in Cleveland all these last few days watching the Eagles-Browns. Um smash each other and uh he's also got some thoughts on the possibility of the eagles trading for one kareem hunt 215-592-9494 mike sealski glenn mack now 94 wip that is kareem hunt last year for the cleveland browns there is some hope and maybe even reason for belief that he could end up with the philadelphia eagles I don't know how I feel about that. We'll talk about that coming up uh, with a man who wrote a story on it. But before that, let us just check in with our pal Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com. Jimmy, how are you? 
I'm great, Glenn. How are you? Good. How is beautiful Cleveland? You get to any of the breweries, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, anything fun? I did get to a brewery yesterday. Which uh, one? It was Flatiron Cafe, I think it was called. I don't know that one, but okay. Good for you. J- Jimmy was posting yeah. pictures of old fashions on social media from That's what right. I saw. <laughs> that was impressive. Yes. Very good. That was at the hotel. I had four of those and regretted it the next time. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, we just had a caller uh, asking about the Eagles' depth at safety. Um, now, sure. we, we know they love Marcus Epps. Um, beyond that, eh. Where, in your mind, do kind of things stand at that position? Yeah, Epps has been the best safety in camp, uh, I think, very clearly. And then Anthony Harris is going to be the other starter. And then you kind of just have a bunch of guys competing for playing time and, frankly, roster spots. Uh, Kayvon Wallace was a fourth-round pick of uh, the Eagles uh, two years ago. So he's entering; he's in his third year now. He's going to get every opportunity to make the team because how he doesn't cut picks like, uh, uh, willingly often. So uh, he's a fourth-round pick. Uh, he, he actually had a really good day yesterday, but otherwise I don't think he was having a great camp. And then they have an undrafted rookie uh, by the name of Reed Blankenship who's shown some things. They signed Jaquaski Tart just before training camp. He's done nothing uh, so far. So, yeah, I think they're looking for somebody to step up at some point. And, and, oh, and Josiah Scott, I should mention, too, was cornerback who has since moved to safety. He's been getting a lot of first-team reps, so I think he's a guy that you can pretty much um, – yeah, I think he's pretty much going to make the team – uh, to be determined what his role will be in the defense. But I would probably have him as, like, the third safety right now. Jimmy Kemsky is our guest. He's the Eagles writer for Philly Voice. You can follow Jimmy on Twitter at Jimmy with a Y, Kemsky, K-E-M-P-S-K-I. Um, just kind of overall, you watch these joint practices. Fans don't get to see him. I don't really even know how you can how you can judge him. But what what's, uh, what struck you? What 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 did you see? Yeah, and the joint practices themselves, you, you know, you're getting uh, – it's more fun for us, too, because we get to see, you know, another team uh, mm-hmm. play against the Eagles. So uh, there's a there's a heightened level of uh, competitiveness, I think, in those joint practices, and you're, you're dealing with more game situation type stuff. Uh, you're getting more 11-on-11s 11 on those days than you would in a normal practice. Uh, you're getting more red zone stuff in those practices, and I think they're really good um, – they're really good for the players in terms of getting them ready for the regular season. In fact, the Eagles value them more than the actual preseason games. So I think there's something to, you know, their, the, the, the joint practices that they had last year against the Patriots and the Jets and uh, the ones that, that they had already here in Cleveland and then uh, that they'll have next week uh, in Miami. But, yeah, I think they're, they're good sort of uh, measuring sticks for various players you know, trying to make the team solidify starting spots and such. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think they're they're fun for the players, too, to sort of get away from the monotony of going against each other uh, every day. For, All for, right, so know, who, who jumped out at you? Uh, yeah, I'd say in these practices, Josh Sweat was stellar yesterday. They couldn't block him. Uh, the defense in general, I thought, was really good. Um, Jordan Davis is just a behemoth, and he's got – just incredible quickness to go along with that. I think we saw that a little bit in joint practices the last few days. Offensively, I would say that like AJ Brown is is like legit. <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not breaking any news here, but he has been everything as advertised when they traded for him. He's big. 
He wins contested catches in a variety of different ways, not just physically, but also he's very savvy in the way he wins contested catches. He doesn't show his hands to opposing cornerbacks. They don't know when the ball is approaching. And he's just hes going to be a stud for this offense this season. So, Jimmy, you wrote the other day, or maybe even yesterday, uh, about the, the idea of the Eagles acquiring Kareem Hunt from the yep. Browns. Um, kind of lay out for us the case for why they ought to do that. Yeah, so he's got a pass that's uh, unsavory. He had a... He's on, I mean, he's on video essentially kicking a woman in, uh, I believe it was an apartment complex hallway. That happened in 2018 when he still played for the Chiefs and frankly was a star player at that point in his career. Um, Chiefs immediately cut him, eventually landed with the Browns, and he's been there the last three seasons. So there are going to be people that are just out on him from the jump, want nothing to do with him, and certainly I will not try to change anyone's opinion on that. I will say that um, I guess the difference between him and like a Deshaun Watson, for example, is that he was contrite and apologized and seemed, you know, truly, um, I, you know, I guess uh, remorseful for his actions, which again are completely, um, you know, they're they're in, in no way acceptable. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, but I would say that he, he has at least been, you know, been apologetic about it uh, since then. As a player, there's there's a, I mean, he's a perfect fit for this offense because what you have in Miles Sanders is a player who has looked very explosive in camp so far. But the two concerns with him are his ability to catch passes out of the backfield and his durability. Last year, he had, he missed games at three different parts of the season because of three different injuries. And he, that's sort of been his history with the Eagles. He's missed games. And then on the hands front, they wanted Kenny, Kenny Gainwell to sort of step into a role where he could be a, uh, a pass-catching complement. Miles Sanders, and I just haven't seen that so far uh, throughout the first you know, three weeks of training camp here. And I assume the Eagles have seen that as well, and, and they they should probably look into a shorter term, maybe some kind of short term or long term solution as a guy that can catch the ball to the backfield. And then also they don't have that big power back. I think we all sort of assume that they'll add one of those guys at some point, whether it's before the regular season begins or during it like mm-hmm. a Jordan Howard, as they've done over the last few years. In Kareem Hunt, sort of get all that. He's a big back who can run between the tackles, can run through contact, can make guys miss. He'd be an extreme upgrade, in my opinion, over Jordan Howard on that front. And then additionally, he's a very good receiver out of the backfield, too. So he gives you that element. And in my opinion, he's you acquire that guy, he is immediately the Eagles' best running back, I think, the Eagles would look at uh, a tandem of him and Miles Sanders as 1A and 1B in whatever order you okay. prefer. But in my opinion, he's, he'd be the best back on the team. All right. So the, the personal issues aside, um, here's what the, what we know about him is he is a free agent at the end of this year, and one of the reasons he wants to be traded, or maybe the primary reason he wants to be traded, is because he wants to be paid. Yes. Uh, would you assume that the Eagles would trade for him and sign him to a deal, or would they try to do a Jay situation? trade for a guy and say, hey, you have the opportunity to come here and really drive up your value. Part B of the question is, what's fair market value to trade for him? Yeah, so part A, the latter. I think it would be you bring him in, you have him play this season, you see what happens. I don't think there's any team out there that's going to bring him in and, and pay him some kind of big deal and, and have him be their you know, running back for the foreseeable future. You bring him in, you see what he can do. And for the from Kareem Hunt's perspective, like the Eagles would be a like a great landing spot for him, in my opinion. 
Um, so I'm sorry. What was the, what was the other part market of that? value? Yeah. For what are you going to pay? They got a Jai for a fourth rounder. Yeah, is, right. is that about what you'd expect? So yeah, I think something in that range. I think uh, a player that makes sense in terms of a trade would be Jalen Rager. Um, the Eagles would be getting Kareem Hunt for one more year on his contract. By the way, I think there's a little misconception on Kareem Hunt's contract. I think people think that he's being paid very well. Not at all. He's on. You'd be on the hook for 1.3 million for him uh, at a minimum, and then he has roster bonuses. Uh, uh, excuse me, play, uh, game bonuses that he for every game he plays, he gets a bonus of. I think it's like three hundred thousand dollars or whatever. So he can he can make up to an additional like three or four million dollars. And if he's going to play every game for you, I think he's absolutely worth that. Uh, in terms of compensation, I think Jalen Rager actually makes a lot of sense because he's got two years left on his deal. He's had the most consistent camp of his career uh, so far. Like last year, he made a couple of highlight reel catches, and they made the rounds. The event went viral and whatever. Camp at all last year, and, and I think obviously we saw during the regular season he was an extremely ineffective receiver. But he's been a lot more consistent this year. Uh, the Eagles have ties, of course, to uh, Andrew Berry, who is the Browns' uh, general manager there. So yeah, I think he's a guy that they could add. Their wide receivers stink, uh, <laughs> as, as I saw this week. Enjoy practices. They have Amari Cooper, and then nothing. So you know if they can bring in in Rager, he can show something. You know over over this year or maybe next year. Uh, he's a guy that makes sense. I don't think you're getting Kareem Hunt just for Rager. I think it'd have to be Rager maybe and change, whether that's like a fifth-round pick or something like that. Uh, that. That's a deal that I think would make sense for the Eagles. Jimmy, I obviously was not in Berea. You were um, on Thursday, I guess it was, when the Deshaun Watson suspension news came down, and yeah. he was there with the media. And the Browns have taken a whole mess of criticism um, for even acquiring him and signing him to the contract and then the way they've handled this whole situation. I- I'm curious if if the Eagles were to acquire Kareem Hunt, there's going to be some residue, I think, and some blowback if they do that. I mean, you know that you're around the team as much as anybody. You know the team as well as anybody. How do you think that's factoring into whether they would make a move like this? Like, are they looking at it and saying – that's okay, we will deal with it, or is that sort of situation really giving them pause and making them say, you know what, it may not be worth it? I think they value winning over morality and um, public perception of what they do is sort of the baseline answer on that one. Um, and let's be frank, they tried to acquire Deshaun Watson this right. offseason. Yeah. Deshaun Watson did not want to play for the Eagles because he did not want to take uh, starting job away from his friend Jalen Hurts. <laughs> like the Eagles are going to make a move for Deshaun Watson, whose transgressions were um, over a like it was a pattern of behavior right. over a long period of time, as opposed to one incident and very creepy stuff. So yeah. they were willing to to make that to take that dive if Watson had been willing to waive his no trade clause to go to the Eagles. So um, yeah, I think they'd be certainly willing to bring in. In, in Cream Hunt, and I haven't put this out publicly or anything like that because I didn't, I, you know, kick the tires on everyone. But my understanding is they have kicked the tires on on Kareem Hunt, and, and they've at least seen what it would cost to bring him in. Well, we saw those pictures yesterday of Nick uh, Sirianni and Kareem Hunt chumming it up up there, which of course sparked, uh, well, yep. made it made another ten thousand people read your story right <laughs> that that hour. 
So, That's right. So People probably Googled uh, Cream Hunt and Eagles and my thing. There you are. So thank you to whoever took the picture of Sirianni and Cream Hunt. There you go. Jimmy Kemsky, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you during the season. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Have all a good right. one. There you go. Thanks, Jimmy. So it really does all, all boil down to personality. There's no question he is somebody who can help the team. Oh, absolutely. There is not a single person in the Delaware Valley who on value would trade down a trade of Kareem Hunt for Jalen Rager. No, I, I think most Eagles fans would say Kareem Hunt for Jalen Rager and a third-round pick would be worth it. Uh, okay. I think most Eagles fans would say Jalen Rager for nothing would be worth it. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Ooh, third-round pick? Okay. Jalen Rager and a third-round pick Oof. for Kareem Hunt. I, I'm not saying okay. that that's a good trade. I'm saying yeah, yeah. most Eagles fans would okay. be on board with it. However, I, I can't get past that personality issue. I could never – well, Odubel Herrera bothered me for a lot of reasons, the domestic violence being one of them. One of them is he just never yeah. learned how to play the game, which right. drove me nuts. But I didn't want him to get familiar. Familiar was was a was a bad guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, and listen, that he turned out to be a bad player makes it easy to dispose of him. Right. The challenge on this is when somebody's a bad guy but a good player, then you're in the question of, well, do we root for him? I think they really dodged a bullet on Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I think they absolutely did too. But as Jimmy said, they were happy to pursue him, and they make really no apologies for it. Um, How do you think they feel about that now? About not getting Deshaun. Yeah, Jeff Watson? and Howie are sitting uh, around tonight. They they see the you know the Deshaun Watson the decision come down and oh I and I, the, I and think, the public reaction. And I stuff. think their feelings are incomplete until they see what Jalen Hurts does this season. Okay, interesting. So. I recognize what Kareem Hunt could bring to this team. I got to be consistent. I got to be consistent. I can't say I want him because he's a better player than Yuri's Familia. It's such a tricky issue because you end up asking yourself, what is the standard by which we judge whether an athlete who has been involved in something terrible gets a second chance? Is it because, for instance, with Michael Vick, that he has served his time and paid his dues and you know it, it, within the legal system itself um is it a, you know is it do you look at someone like Kareem Hunt or Deshaun Watson and say well they've they have not been charged with a crime so yeah. Watson was never even contrite even this week when it all right. came down he's like well you know people got triggered that's your response yeah <laughs> That's it, where you're going. It's it's so and and as so you, you a yes or no on Kareem Hunt? I'm I'm a tentative no. Okay, I'm a tentative no. Okay, sounds like you could be sold. I, Do you need him to say something? I, I need to. I would need to talk to people who know Kareem Hunt and know that what that he had a measure and level of being contrite that matched Michael Vick's. What made Michael Vick's situation? acceptable was that Vic genuinely turned his life around. He did. And I don't know that yet about Kareem Hunt. Okay. All right. Okay. Charlie in Jersey. Ooh, Charlie, the pessimist. What's up, Charlie? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hey, Charlie. So, uh, Glenn, it's been a while since I talked to you, but um, always always a pleasure. Thank um, you. Yeah, so I am I am a pessimist. I called, usually call around this time, talk about the fills. Um, am I being too negative where I – like, what are the differences between this team and uh, previous years? Do you see? Oh, I'll give you one big difference. Coming? I'll give you one big difference. This team has yeah. a bullpen. That that is true, but the offense disappears. That's similar to last year. Mm -hmm. um, and 
one of my biggest concerns is the playoffs are kind of being handed to the Phils on a silver platter this year. They have Correct. not yes. kind of the division. Yeah. They have four teams fighting for three spots, and they have the tiebreaker against all the teams. So, yes, they have played well against some good teams, but, like, if they don't make the playoffs this year, when, when is it going to happen? Like, the Braves and Mets aren't going away for any anytime soon. I, I Like, I don't expect them to do anything in the playoffs. But can we at least get in, have some playoff baseball? Like, get Bryce Mike, remember I told you about the, the, the Doctor is in shows? Oh, yeah. This is this sounds uh, very familiar. Yeah. It really does. Charlie, does it does it um, assuage your fears at all that Bryce Harper will eventually come back? Not really, because I have a feeling that, that they may, after this weekend, if they're not in the second wild card spot, I see them falling out of it in September. I don't care if they're playing the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, the Nationals. I think they're going to fall. I really do. I think their offense is going away. I think their big bats are, are too inconsistent. Bryce Harper will be a good addition back to the clubhouse, but I have a feeling that they're just going to collapse, and I don't know. All right. maybe, okay. Maybe, maybe hey, I'm until they make the playoffs, I can't tell you that you're wrong, yeah. but I can tell you, you yeah. know, as Monty Python would say, always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> what do you uh, have you as there? your Phillies-Mets memory? Okay, um, definitely, but – and then I'll hang up and ask, like, what do you guys think? Do you, if you were a betting man, I bet they're going to make it. Make I, I think they're going to okay, make it too, do. Charlie. But Go, I wouldn't bet much. I, I understand why you're looking to the sky for the safe that's going to fall on your head. I get it. Even if they get swept this weekend, you think that they'll make it? Well, I, I don't know. Let's let's not go there yet. Yeah, I, they I lost, don't, you know, It's one game. Even if a, they lose ten in a row, don't don't take yeah. me where I'm not. What uh, okay, what's your okay. Phillies Mets all time highlight? Um, I'm sure that this is mentioned already, but it has to be the 7 four-game sweep around this time of the year. That was electric. Indeed. Especially the, the last game where uh, Taguchi scored and Utley's single. Like, that was awesome. So, um, so thank you. Yeah. So Taguchi. So Taguchi. I was there for that, for at least a couple of those four games, including the last one. I remember covering it for the Bucks County Courier Times at the time. And um, oh. that, to me, was, the as I said earlier, the real beginning of, you know, the turnaround for the for the franchise. I had my wrong Taguchi. It was Tadahito. Tadahito Iguchi. Yeah, yeah. There was so Taguchi and yeah. Tadahito Iguchi. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and Iguchi got the hit that um, uh, tied the game. I think Iguchi stayed in the Center City Hotel that I stayed in the night of the parade. Really? Yes, because the station I we covered the parade. Mm-hmm. It was great. I mean, we we actually we are in the loft of the Union League oh. as it came by, right? Mm-hmm. Broadcasting the thing live. And they said, you, you better go down the night before because it's going to be nuts. So it's mm-hmm. like, great. So we stayed downtown. And as I'm checking in, there he was. Wow. There he is, signing more autographs that day than he probably ever did in his life. I, I was at Citizens Bank Park waiting for the parade to get to the, the park so that uh, I could oh, cover well, that the was speeches. Fun. Yeah. That was pretty good. Charlie? Char- Chase Utley. Yes. Quite memorable. Yes. Um, yeah, it was a heck of a time. Two on five, five nine two ninety four ninety four. We're gonna come up. We're gonna give you our uh, what we're watching. Mike has a show that he likes, or a documentary series. I'm watching a show that I'm so disappointed in. We'll give you that. We'll take some calls. Mike, Celsi- Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack, now ninety four WIP. All right, it is time for what we're watching, brought to you by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big summer sales event. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at gogida.com. You found a little time this last week to start on what is a very highly acclaimed sports documentary series. Yes, it is uh, Untold. That is the name of the series on Netflix. 
uh, and their first two episodes of this new season dealt with the Manti Teo story, if you remember that. Yeah, for, the, for those who don't, give them a primer. So Manti Teo was the star middle linebacker for Notre Dame back in 2012, was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, uh, had garnered a lot of media attention, all of it positive, in the wake of the death of his grandmother and on the same day, allegedly, the death of his girlfriend from cancer. And of course, this strange story unfolds where it turns out that Teo's girlfriend, who he had never met in person, he had only communicated with through Facebook and via text message, uh, turned out to be uh, someone named Ronaya Tuiasosopo, uh, a man who had catfished mm-hmm. Teo. He had, yeah. you know, presented himself fraudulently to him. And uh, the documentary gets into that story, revisits it, talks to Teo about it, talks to Tuiasosopo about it, and I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, um, but I the read, story, I saw, yeah. the story has evolved significantly over the last ten years. Yeah, and his career never really happened. No, so which is which is too bad. And they got, I saw they have a future uh, episode or two dedicated to Tim Donaghy. Yes, the, the, so that that's so you give it a high grade. I, I do. I give it three and a half stars out of four, um, particularly because the interviews with Teo and Tuiasosopo were so revealing. It also gets into. The story by Deadspin.com, which broke the Mm. news of this hoax uh, and kind of into the way media cover things. That was really interesting to me. Uh, The fact that Deadspin broke the story in large part because they basically wanted to dunk on ESPN and Good Morning America and and expose them for not having done the reporting to know mm. that this girlfriend didn't exist. Okay, so it's called Untold Stories on Untold Stories. Untold, yes, on, just un, untold. just Untold on Netflix. Yep, you like it, check it out. All right, I'm glad you found something you liked because I did not. Ooh, I'm so disappointed. Um, I was really looking forward to the series League of Their Own, based off the movie on Amazon Prime Video. And by the way, let me preface this, because I looked this up. Audiences like it. It's got 88% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 4.6% on IMDb. Not me. No. No. I will tell you that the movie, 1992, mm-hmm. uh, it's classic. Ray and I wrote the ultimate book of sports movies. We ranked it at number 22. You know what? It's aged really well. It may like move up the list over time. It's that good. Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, really good cast. You can find it anytime, anywhere on cable TV. Um, And for those who don't know, I assume you do, it is the story of the Women's Professional Baseball League during World War II, the Rockford Peaches. Um, So now Amazon did a TV adaptation. I was really looking forward to it. None of the characters are exactly the same as the movie, but they kind of are all copies of the movie. There's mm-hmm. the chubby one who's Rosie O'Donnell. There's right. the sexy one who's Madonna. There's the farm girl who's Gina Davis. It's like you recognize all these characters. And it's a decent ensemble. You will recognize some of the actors. But it's not good, mm-hmm. um, at least to me. One of the things that made the movie so good, in my mind, was that the characters, lovable as they were, were flawed. Yes. They were three-dimensional people who had flaws. It takes half the movie. Tom Hanks is a washed-up drunk who takes half the movie to even talk to his players. And even at the end, he autographs a kid's ball. Don't get the clap, Jimmy Dugan. Jimmy Dugan. Avoid the clap, right. Jimmy Avoid Dugan. Avoid the clap. Right. And so 
in this one, by the way, the manager in this is played by Nick Offerman who, from Parks and Rec, right. who's terrific. Mm-hmm. No, he's one-dimensional, and they're all one-dimensional. And most of them are kind of too good and too nice to really care about. There's no conflict. There's no there, – there, there's – it's just like let's create these basic caricatures of characters and throw out a show. That's the risk. In a way, that's the risk you run when you're going to redo or remake a classic. Yeah, and A League of Their the movie is a classic. Great, it one. is a great movie. Yeah, um, so well written, so smart. And as you said, the appealing thing about it is that Laurie Petty's character, for instance, the oh. pitcher, is. A brat throughout the whole thing. But it's funny that she's that way. And even the angelic-looking Gina Davis is not perfect in this movie. Correct. In this movie, you in this movie, in this TV show, you again. Now, I've watched four episodes. I don't even know if I'm going to watch more. Like, if you don't catch me in four episodes, I don't know why I'm sticking around for longer. Um, Some of the scenes, especially in the early episodes, are almost line for line out of the movie. And yes, they do get there's no crying in baseball in there because they kind of felt obliged to. When it gets new, when it diverts from the movies, when it goes into new directions is when it really loses it. Now, it it aims to bring in social issues, which is fine with my TV. There's certainly much more attention here played to race and the systemic problems. bias and exclusion of black players on the TV show. One of the main characters is this young black pitcher who's trying to get in and she can't. It's a a fine plot arc. It also very much gets into sexuality. Half of the show's characters are gay. It's a very large recurring theme of this, which has made the show very, very popular uh, in the LGBT community just for that, Mm -hmm. and that's fine. The problem is I need something more than that. I need like a good show. Right. I don't just need the theme. I need the show. It really falls short. It shaves off the rough edges, as I said. Um, Nick Offerman is wasted. It's missing. It's missing big emotion. It's missing. It's missing tension or drama. Um, and it's missing good baseball. Oh. They barely baseball is basically just shown in these montage scenes. Yeah, and See, you don't and you don't get a lot of that. And, and that's one of the strongest aspects of the original movie. Yeah, they is can that play. The, the, the baseball looks real. Yeah, they can play. Yeah, yeah. no, nah, here it doesn't. Um, anyway, very disappointed. I will give it a uh, either C minus. You did stars. I'll give it a two out of four. Okay. So, well, good. I'll hope, stay away from it then. Yeah, stay it, away. There's it, so much great TV. Yeah, and it's interesting too because my wife and I had just talked about. We have two sons, um, and we had just talked about, hey, let's sit down one night and watch the original League of Their Own. Do it. Because they would love it. They would love it. Yeah. Not so much the show. No. All right. Well, good to know. Steven Southampton, you're on with Mike and Glenn. Hi. Hey. How are you guys doing today? All right. Hey, Steve. I, I've got to compliment you. Uh, I was, I, I've listened to the show for years. I'm a touch older than Glenn. I thought Ray was a demi, demigod. Uh, Mike, you've been a fantastic addition, and the the one-two punch you and Jody on Sunday are outstanding. Thank you so much, Steve. It's kind of you to say. It's in fact, I start to read your uh, uh, column much more. We do get the Inquirer up in Connecticut, but we get it online. I'm now uh, a regular with your column. It's a can't miss. Like your uh, hold show. on one second. Dan, clip that. He's got to send it to his editor. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Lifetime contract now at the Inquirer. Thank you, Steve. I'll split the raise with you. Okay? You got it. it done. And uh, the memory 
nothing to say about the Mets and, and Phillies. I'm old enough. What, whatever will be, will be. But my memory in 1950 as a, a little kid with my father and grandfather going to Shy Park, walking out the walking through the concourse that was so dark you almost needed a flashlight and then we walked out and saw that beautiful emerald green field it it made the field and field of dreams seem like nothing yeah. it was just it, it just uh and i was hooked from that day on you know what it, and and that's a, and thank you for the call and thank you for the kind words too I think everybody remembers the first time they actually walked to a ballpark because when I was a kid watching it on a TV, which was probably a 19-inch TV, and when I was really young, we had black and white TV. Yep. I remember we graduated to color TV when I was like, whatever, seven, eight years old. So I remember watching games on a little screen TV, and then you go for the first time in your life to a ballpark, and you walk in that door and you see the expanse of green and all the colors and the seats and the crowd and the smells. For those of us who are baseball junkies, he is, I am, you are. I'll never forget that first time at a park. Billy Crystal has talked about this. He's done some movies and, and I think some monologues and things about, you know, because he grew up a huge Yankees fan and an admirer of Mickey Mantle and has spoke very, spoken very eloquently about this. And it's 100% true. If you grew up in the generation that watched games on black and white television, there's no recreating that moment yeah. where you w see a game in color in the flesh for the first time. <clears throat> it was and amazing. I, and I can remember going to Veterans Stadium for the first time when I was a kid in 1982, and it didn't matter that the field was practically, you know, a black and green plastic tarpaulin laid over that's a parking right. lot in yeah, South Philly. That's right. It was still the biggest, most colorful place I had ever been. Yeah, the first ballpark I was ever in in my life was Dodger Stadium. Wow. I was nine years old. It was all downhill old. from there. Uh, I was nine years old. We took a trip out to California as a family. My father was able to get these amazing tickets on the dugout at Dodger Stadium from the, the people mm -hmm. who had basically brought us out to California. Turns out what I learned years later, my father was interviewing for a job or had some opportunity for a job. Wow. And we like might have moved to California. Wow. My life would have been different. You, you know what the, the most memorable, I mean, I, I remember vividly Veterans Stadium, but for the first, you know, 17 years of my life, 16 years, that was the only ballpark I had gone to. And I can remember in 1992, mm. that summer, when the Orioles opened Camden Yards. Yes. Uh, three friends and I drove down to Baltimore Beautiful. to see a game at Camden Yards, and that was eye-opening. Like, oh, they got other places. Not only do they have other places, but Camden Yards ushered in the era it sure of, did. you know, bring back the beautiful, unique ballpark to each city and each community. And it was I, great. And I will argue that the park here is as as good as any it's as it's as good as any um the one i i have a soft spot for is pnc park everybody, in pittsburgh everybody likes that and one. it's such the a view is so great it, and the, the walk is great, to it is great and, yeah. and it's such Clemente a shame statue, the pirates yeah. are so bad always always bad let's work in rick from glenn mills hey rick you're on with mike and glenn hi guys how you doing good. hey rick good welcome mike it's great to have you thank I, you I really appreciate it when i'm doing my saturday errands um I wanted to ask about the running backs, first of all, and I also have a Mets-Phillies moment. But um, I, I'm particularly thinking about Kenny Gainwell. And like he scored a lot of touchdowns last year, good receiver out of the backfield, but I haven't heard much about him this year, and I don't want to go in a different direction, but a lot of the fantasy books you read are saying stay away from him. 
Is he going to be a factor this year? He has not had a great camp. Um, and I think this, the, the, the concern, and Jimmy Kemsky kind of referenced this earlier in the show, is that he doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield as, as well as, you know, a Boston Scott does or even a Kareem Hunt would if you want to go that route. Um, I think they expected more out of Gainwell, and he hasn't quite delivered. Um, so whatever fantasy books you're reading, they sound like they're they're there at the Novacare Center watching Gainwell in practice. <laughs> yeah, okay. And then Miles Sanders, once again, what's he doing with a hammy? What's a running back doing with a hammy in training camp? That's just inexcusable. Recurring. Uh, I, um, I understand. What's your Phillies Mets memory? Well, there was a, it was a couple years ago up at City Field. And there was a kind of an obscure pitcher on the mound, and he was throwing at the Phillies for a couple of innings. And I forget whether he had hit Ho- Reese Hoskins or knocked him down or in the previous at-bat or whatever, and, but in one at-bat, he knocked him down again. Hoskins gets up and hits a home run on the next pitch out to left field, and he ran around the bases at a snail's pace just to get into the pitcher's face. He was sort of saying, hey, dude, this is the show. You don't do that to me here. See you later. You remember that when he ran around the bases like as slow as he possibly yes. could? Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I don't Thanks. think I, I don't think he was running. I think he was sauntering would be the better <laughs> verb. Um, I do remember that moment, and and Rick was exactly right. Hoskins was going to kind of show up the Mets pitcher. It was um, it was a jaunt, a jaunt, yeah. a sachet perhaps. <laughs> Too bad. Were you covering that game? You could have used all. Get out the <laughs> thesaurus, yeah, yeah, exactly. so You can work them all in there. I've uh, been studying up on my vocab flashcards. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now we're going up to leading off Phillies Mets. First game of a day night doubleheader starts at one oh five right here on ninety four WIP. Well, that was Tuesday night in Cincinnati when um, Brandon Marsh tried to make a leaping catch at the wall, came down on his left knee, which you could see awkwardly kind of collapse under the weight of his, what do you weigh, 215 pounds. Uh, looked like it was going to be a serious knee injury. It is not. He has got a sprained left ankle and a bone bruise. He's going to be out for a while. Dr. Mark Pollard, Cooper Bone and Joint, is nice enough to join us now. Doc, I, this may sound like a really elementary question, but that's what we do. I understand what a sprained ankle is. Bone bruise is an injury I never quite understand how serious that is and how long that may keep you out. Is that an issue mostly of pain, or is it something that can kind of hurt your performance as well? Um, well, it's a good question uh, because you know bone bone bruises are you know by definition it means you know just like your skin and muscle can get bruised if they get hit hard, the bone can get bruised as well, and so it causes inflammation. And a, you know, a stress reaction within the tissue itself. In this case, the bone and the uh, tissues within the bone. And so, there's a spectrum of how serious bone bruises can be, from just you know a minor thing that could just take a week or two to settle down to uh, very deep, pretty severe injuries. You know, the worry some of these injuries, the you know, there's different words that they used to call them, and sometimes a bone bruise can refer be referred to as like a a certain kind of fracture, uh, you know, essentially a fracture where the, the bone doesn't break, but that just indicates that the bones have, you know, a fair amount of force. And so, you know, there can be some concern that, you know, eventually a piece could separate off if mm-hmm. uh, things aren't allowed to heal yeah. properly. And those those are the bone bruises that can take, you know, a long time to settle down. I think, uh, I can't remember who the sixer was he never played that was dealing with a bone bruise in his knee for two years or something like that. Andrew Bynum. 
Yeah, uh. that would be the one. <laughs> uh, there's a name, Mike. Yeah, doctor, what's the treatment? What is what is Brandon Marsh going to be doing to kind of get himself back healthy? Does he just rest? Does Are there exercises, rehab activities he does? How do you treat a bone bruise? Well, really the key is to prevent further insult to the area. Uh, so trying to, you know, keep weight off of it using crutches and so forth. But, you know, he's an athlete, so they've got to try to, you know, walk that delicate line of, you know, keeping him in shape, trying to keep the muscles in shape and having him do some kind of rehab exercises, but ones that don't load the area that's injured. And so uh, that's the uh, challenge for the training staff. Dr. Mark Pollard, we always appreciate your expertise. Enjoy your weekend, my friend. All right, thanks. You as well. All right, there you go. Yeah, they've been through a lot of center They are. I, I hope no one is is insulting Brandon Marsh's knee. You're a lousy knee! I, that's the medical term. I love that. <laughs> All right, let's get a couple calls in before we move to leading off. Adam in Vineland's with us. Hey, Adam. Glenn, Mike, how you guys doing? Hey, Adam. Uh, so, um, I just wanted to get into first just um, about uh, Kareem Hunt and the personality aspect of it. Um, I know, you know that video is obviously not... Nobody wanted to see that. Nobody's about that. Nobody really supports that. So um, I wanted to come in from uh, another angle uh, where I happen to know um, some people very tight in the circle, and I've been around them on many, many different occasions. I, I could speak to you before and after the incident about his character. Uh, he really is a great guy. He's great with kids. He is about his family. I know the video's out. Everybody can judge off of uh, that video, you know, and they have their own opinions, which is fine. But I believe he could take the Mike Vick pathway if given the right opportunity. Um, I, geez, I wouldn't worry about an incident like that happening again. Okay. Um, he, I, I can't. A, I can't. I I hear you, and I appreciate your perspective. And if you've got some familiarity with him, I I do appreciate that. I don't know him. I can't. I can't just take that. Uh, because somebody tells me that, yeah, as, sure. as Mike sure. said, and thanks for the call. As you said, Mike, um, you know we haven't been around. We don't. Right. We don't know. I don't know how that was really. I remember when it came out. I remember it was awful. I remember he got suspended, long suspension. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know contriteness behavior since then. As you said, you want to talk to people around him. You want to. You want to know what kind of guy he is. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Michael Vick is kind of the the best case scenario for something like this taking away the the act if you you know there's a certain baseline for hey this action calls into question whether this athlete ought to be playing in the NFL or the NBA or major league baseball the question comes down to not not just the nature of it but the athlete's response and character rehabilitation and all of that sort of stuff and vic checked all those boxes he became a different guy he turned his life around, um, and that I don't have that reassurance with Kareem Hunt. I just don't. Yeah. Um, now maybe Adam is right. Maybe he has already done that, but you and I haven't been around him long enough to know. No, I haven't been around him. You know, at all. I don't know anything about him. No, I do not argue with the point, the perspective that he would help this team. Yeah. I, look, but, and, and and I I also think we're all hypocrites in oh, the end. Uh, we're all, you know, we he, cheer when it's our guy who gets suspended, it's like, "Oh, welcome back, standing ovation." When it's the other guy, it's like, "How can they even let that bum play?" Yeah, and and there's also I mean, look, you know, you go back to Jackie Robinson, right? And 
the Brooklyn Dodgers and Branch Rickey doing the right thing, the moral thing, the the wonderful thing by breaking the color barrier. But they also wanted to tap into a talent pool. It wasn't just that they were doing it for altruistic reasons. They also did it because they wanted to be the first team to start signing and acquiring black players. Yeah, it worked for them. You know, they got Roy Campanella exactly, and Don, Don Newcomb, Newcomb and, and Joe Black, and they 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 were the pioneers in that. It right. worked for them. So that's always a factor in these things, and we often turn a blind eye to it and get moralistic about it. And sometimes it's completely appropriate, and sometimes, Glenn, as you said. We are total hypocrites and kind of blind to the reality. All right. On that cynicism, (laughs) let us go over to our producer, Dan Wilson. Dan, we had a little bit of fun today with Phillies Mets memories. And when we started the show, I said for all the years these two teams have been rivals. The Mets came into the league in 1962, which is 60 years ago. Wow. The Mets celebrating their – no, yeah, 60th season. Woohoo! Anyway. Um, that being said, there aren't as many great ones, but boy, we got a lot of good ones, Dan. We did. Um, so before I give the winner, a few that I thought maybe should have been mentioned. Oh. So, someone called and couldn't hang on, unfortunately. The Osama bin Laden game, the Sunday night baseball game oh, in 2011, gosh, yes. is not a traditional one. It wasn't about what happened on the field that night. It was a game in May, but just like an American historical event. There was no other sporting event going on. You're, you're so correct. And one of the things I remember about that, I wasn't at that game. I watched it on TV. Did you watch that? I watched it on TV. Right. And it was before we all had Twitter. Yep. And so it's, you know, some people are getting the news on their cell phone. Maybe they're getting texts from friends. I don't know. I don't. I. I don't think social media. Did Facebook have a profile then that was on everybody's phone? It it exists. Facebook exists. Yeah, but was on everybody's phone. Not the way it is okay, today. So, yeah, like what, I was so the, yeah. what I remember about that night, in that I learned it off of ESPN of all places, but that it slowly made its way around the stadium and then yes. started to be a roar. Yes. The idea that you learned about news gradually. That kind of concept has yeah. kind of been eliminated from our society now. Yeah, building buzz. Yes. Okay, that's a good one. All right, uh, so Dan, you win the gift card. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, and then another outside-the-box one that I was really kind of hoping for but not necessarily expecting. I know we're all Seinfeld fans here. If someone had called up and said the Keith Hernandez error, uh, I might have gone with that. <laughs> <laughs> June 14th, 1987. Yeah, anything but, we can do to rip Keith Hernandez. But, uh, it was McDowell. It was McDowell. McDowell. Yeah, no. If, if someone called in with that, I, I would have oh, given Oh, gosh, you could have played that. That's such a great highlight. Well, unfortunately, didn't get that. But the winner today is going to be Charlie in Jersey. Uh, he called in with, in my opinion, and, you know, he played a little bit to the judge here. I'm 24 years old. I was in fourth grade when Chase Utley hit that walk-off to complete that sweep against the New York Mets. An 11-10 game. That came at 27 hits. Antonio Alfonseca blew a five-run lead in the eighth. I mean, it it was like a four-hour game. Absolute bananas. And when you look back at that 2007 season, that was like the turning point in the Phillies kind of, you know, finishing off the Mets. And, you know, eventually they blow a seven-game lead with 17 games left to play. So 2007, I think, was like the peak of the Phillies-Mets rivalry. So Uh, Charlie's the winner. That's that's pretty good, although your Kim Batiste one was pretty good as well. The the Kim Batiste one was a good pull. That really was. By the way, what was different about Antonio Alfonseca than most human beings? Oh, wasn't it that he... uh, um, uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Six fingers. Yeah. Six fingers. Well, 12 and fingers. Tw- and 12, 12 toes. fingers. Yeah. 12 total toes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I have been looking for the six-fingered man. His his nickname, I think, was the octopus. <laughs> so in, in, however you say octopus in Spanish. All right. Congratulations. What's the name of the winner one more time? 
Uh, Charlie in Jersey. Charlie in Jersey, you get a $50 gift card to Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shivesports.com. We will come back with leading off next. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.